welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast are Missouri State head coach Keith Gutton and assistant coach Paul Evans. Coach Gutton is in his 43rd season with the Missouri State program as a player, assistant, and head coach. He is 19th in Division I for 1,288 overall wins and 38 seasons as head coach. Coach Evans is in his 33rd season as an assistant at Missouri State after coaching at Shawnee Community College and Ren Lake Community College. This duo is one of the best stories we have in the game and something that we may not ever see again. In their 33 seasons together, they've had 127 players sign pro contracts, six first-round draft picks, 20 major leaguers, 19 regular season or conference tourney championships, 11 NCAA regionals, and a 2003 College World Series appearance. This is a great episode on staff longevity, player development, recruiting, tips for coaches, and our shared love for Missouri Valley Conference baseball. Let's welcome Coach Gutton and Coach Evans to the podcast. All right, here with Keith Gutton, head coach, Missouri State, 38th season as head coach, 43rd overall, 57 years uh, of, of the 57 years with the program, 1,288 wins, uh, 19th overall for Division I wins. And Paul Evans, 33rd season as assistant coach, pitched at SIU, head coach at Shawnee Community College and assistant at Wren Lake, um, have also had 127 players sign a pro contract, six first-round draft picks, 20 major leaguers, 19 regular season or conference tourney championships, 11 NCAA regionals, and 2003 College World Series appearance. Did I did I nail all of it? I think you said I was 57 years with the program. <laughs> I didn't start when I was eight. I wasn't that good. Yeah, that's uh, 40. That was a mouthful. 43 of the 57 years that I'd the programs that's existed. Accurate. Yes. Yes. And, and I reached out to you guys just because I don't think we'll we'll see anything like this again with 33 years together. Can you guys just give your tips on longevity and, and how you guys have been able to navigate this for 33 seasons? Go ahead, Paul. You can start. Oh, you're passing it to me, huh? I'll, I'll, I'll start. <laughs> for me, personally, being here this long, 
Ryan, it, it always came down to two things. Do you like where you're living and do you like the people you're working with? And in both those cases, I did. I met my wife. She was working at the university. All three of our daughters went through the university at some point, and it's been a good place to live and work. Uh, we we're fortunate to bring Paul along, I think, in ninth summer of or late summer of 88. And, you know, we've enjoyed some success and it's been a good relationship. And uh, he's certainly good enough to have gone places on his own. And I'll let him, you know, kind of unpack that. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't I would probably say when I first got here, I didn't have any thoughts of staying for 33 years. I wanted to be a head coach as things uh, materialized and moved on. I think some things happened with the program too. I mean, we moved, uh, we went from Metter Park out to Price Cutter Park. Then Mr. Hammond stepped up and hit a home run with this field. Uh, a few years ago, I looked at an opportunity mainly because it was there, it was back in, it was uh, SIU Edwardsville, where I'm from. My family's there. My dad had passed away. Uh, my two sons were living in St. Louis now. That didn't happen. I'm okay with that. And now my sons are here in Springfield. I'm perfectly content and uh, riding it out. How do you guys successfully navigate then in season or also with recruiting development pieces, because you're going to have those conversations in the office. You know, how do you guys navigate all of those things that, that you have to deal with as a coaching staff? Well, I think it gets easier the more you get to know someone, what they're feeling, thinking, what they like, dislike. And on the recruiting end, you know, we can discuss players that, yeah, he reminded me of this guy that played for us 25 years ago. Those comparisons are very helpful. We know each other's tastes and what we like. And, you know, Paul has autonomy. He can recruit any pitcher he wants. If there's somebody I see that I like, I'll recruit him. And it's just a kind of an ongoing conversation. You know, he has complete autonomy with the pitching staff. Uh, that came about in 2013. For me at that time, I didn't feel like that particular year I was doing a very good job with our bullpen and handling them. I said, dude, just you prepare these guys all week with scouting reports and pens and everything else. You just handle it. And it just kind of went from there. And, you know, he's been very successful in the way he's handled the pitching staff. I think when it comes to the recruiting, Ryan, uh, you know, some people use a recruiting coordinator per se, and that guy may be on the road. And he's bouncing, seeing a lot of games and stuff. Uh, we, I wouldn't say that's how we do it. We may have somebody in name, but as Keith uh, referred to, I mean, it's I'm out hunting pitchers. If I see a guy that I think can swing it or a position guy, I'm going to say something to Keith or Matt. They can see, go follow up and see that same guy and vice versa. If they see an arm that they feel like uh, needs to be seen from my half, that's kind of how we do things with the recruiting stuff. But I think the one thing from being together so long that's important for us is uh, G will tell you, there's a lot of things he probably doesn't want to hear from me and that's fine, but I'm going to say them anyway. And then there's times that he's in total agreement, but I think 
I think when you're in a relationship or a coaching staff, guys got to be open and just say what they feel like. And, and ultimately, Keith is going to make the decision. But I think it's important that he hears what my thoughts are or the other assistant. Whether that was Brent Thomas or Nate Thompson or Matt Lawson, no. What type of advantage is it to have the head coach out? I, I look at the best programs that we have, Division One on down. Seems like the head coach is still active in the recruiting process. Can you guys talk a little bit about the advantage that that brings? I think initially, Ryan, you know, when I first started as head coach in, in 1983, we did not have one full-time assistant at that time. Uh, Brent Thomas was doing two jobs. And I just felt it was incumbent. I had to do it at the time. Um, you know, I had some relationships, connections. Obviously, things were very, very different in summer baseball back then. But, And I also thought it was a little bit of an advantage to do it because some of the people uh, in our region that we were recruiting against did not have their head coach out. And I just thought back to if, if I'm a player, I want this guy to have seen me before I get to campus. So there's no good or bad surprises either way and, and build that relationship. And uh, that's just kind of the way it started. And uh, for a long, long time, we did not have a full-time assistant coach. And I wasn't comfortable asking Brent Thomas working two jobs on campus with the young family to go away every weekend and look at kids. So we didn't out recruiting was much more regionalized than the travel wasn't near as bad. And, uh, but that's the way we did it. And, you know, Paul came on board and certainly that helped dramatically with recruiting. Uh, Brent became full time and now Matt Lawson's very involved with position players and recruiting. So it, it's grown, uh, but that's the way we started. And I still like to get out and see guys. Well, and how much does it help with Matt also? Cause he played for you guys. Well, he, he knows us and he knows what we like, what we don't like. You know, you could see a talented guy and maybe he's not the guy for us because of the way he carries himself. Or, you know, you could see a guy that might be just a, a program type guy that eventually is going to play for you. So the language is good. And, you know, Matt played for us. He was a student assistant. He was a volunteer and he was a full-time guy. So he's, Although he's only been a full-time assistant since 18, he's been in the program since about 2005. Lump, how long does that take you to get to that point where it's like, okay, I know this guy is going to be a fit for our program? Well, I think Keith referred to that too. You start making comparisons of guys you've seen when you've done it this long. Uh, you start picturing this guy as, hey, he looks like so-and-so at that age and a, a right fit so you know and it's not always velo you see some guys that have the capability of spinning it well or they're uh, really plus command um, the biggest part is trying to gauge how much of a jump a guy's going to make sometimes they do sometimes they don't sometimes they go backwards even but uh it's it just years of doing it you see a guy and how their arms work and it's easy to make comparisons to somebody you've had and this is in my notes for, for you, Lump. Um, can you develop a breaking ball or do you recruit a breaking ball? I mean, you've been doing this a long time and you've had some yackers in that program, <laughs> some filthy, filthy breaking balls. Do you recruit that or can you develop it? Well, you can see it. You know, Matt Hall, uh, you know, even a kid that we have currently, uh, Logan Thomason, can really, can really spin it. 
it's apparent when you see it at a young age, like that guy has, you know, the ability to spin a baseball. Well, now I think what you add at our level is a lot of guys come out of high school throwing curves, the slurves, and not many guys throw sliders. And that's maybe what my forte is. I can teach a guy a cutter, a slider to add to a curveball. Um, I had the ability to spin a baseball, so it's something that's pretty easy for me to teach. Is that matching the arm slot? Hey, is that matching the arm slot with the breaking ball? I was going to say I spun it for your dad in 1978 in Galesburg, <laughs> pioneers. That was in my notes to apologize <laughs> to you for my my brother you, and I probably jumping. Were you in even stuff. born? Were you even born? Yeah, I was four four and five those seventy eight seventy nine. So I do apologize to Coach Evans for that. Yeah, probably Tim and Ryan were running around the frat house at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, that summer, coming and going. So a little young to be a bad boy. <laughs> and you guys don't get enough credit. I've I've touted your your horn forever. Just from a player development standpoint, you've had 20 big leaguers, 42 All-Americans, six first-round draft picks. Talk about the – because, again, you're not at a place where the first and second rounders are going to show up. You're turning these guys into high drafts. Talk about the player development piece for you guys. Well, I think a lot of those guys are pitchers, and that's certainly credit to what Paul – Yeah, but Ryan done. Howard's not. Bill Miller's not. I mean, there's been some some really good position players. You know, some of those, and that, those guys date back a little bit. Um, those guys are, they're blue collar guys. No question about it. Recruiting was different then. Uh, created some relationships with those guys coming out. Uh, was pretty in tune to where they were playing and the people around them coming from that same area, myself and Paul's close by on the Illinois side. So, you know, those guys and, and I mean, they made themselves into players with their work ethic. You know, yeah, we gave them some guidance and on and on and on. But I think we were fortunate to have people like that in the program. And then once you do, it tends to attract other like guys because they see there were some results down there. And, and maybe I can be somebody like that as well. I think I think from the development side. Ryan, I think really you're taking a guy and you just have to be honest with them and, and be upfront with them. It's kind of how I deal with my guys. If there's a deficiency, like, hey, this needs to get better. If there's a plus, this is something that you're going to take or you have a shot. Um, but really just being upfront with them. I think we've had a lot of success with the blue collar guys, as Keith has said, kids that are competitive and they work hard. That's a good starting point anytime. But then taking their stuff up, and telling them, like, hey, you got a chance. I mean, I had this discussion the other day, you know, in the um, in the fall with a guy, and I said, hey, do you want to be a dude? And he's like, yeah. No, I was like, no, you really want to be a dude. Like, do you want to sign for 100000 or do you want to get a lot of money out of here? And he's like, well, yeah. Well, this is then what you got to do. You got to take it up another notch. And that guy in, in particular has come back this spring and, and – has taken it up a notch and it's nice to see when you have those discussions and a guy takes it and goes with it how do you know when to have those conversations because that may not work with everybody what's the feel on that that okay this is the conversation i need to have with him it's you know they're like you know you have 14 one year you have 16 17 whatever the number is i got two sons you know i i know what it's like having two sons and i just i that's how i treat them we have a lot of meetings with the pitchers and we have group meetings 
and I'm not calling them out, but I'm not afraid to discuss, you know, Joe's problem today in his cage ball or, or the inner squad with the group. One day he gets commended, one day he gets knocked down, but I'm going to share that with all my guys because I think it's a learning tool for all of them. But there are, you got to pick your spots, you got to know when, but there's times it's like, uh, hey, you got a minute lunch, come in the uh, conference room, I'd like to talk to you. And it's just one of those sit down times where you, you're, you're trying to pump them up, but you're trying to motivate them. You can't motivate every day, so you got to pick your spots and, and really try to get your point across to some individuals. Coach Gutton, you want to add on that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I think let's take Bill Miller, for example, Ryan. And I think you saw him were around him played against. I don't remember all the years, but <clears throat> Bill Miller to me would have been a big leaguer if he went to beauty college. I mean, he was a ball player and all you had to do was go watch and then, you know, continue to tell him what he needed to improve upon. And he certainly would do it. And, uh, you know, Ryan Howard was just probably more luck than anything else. Right place, right time, having some relationships with coaches. But uh, you look you like know, Fred I, McGriff. That's what I always comped him when he was a freshman <laughs> with you guys right on now, that team. He, when he, he looked like Fred playing, McGriff. Was, when, as a freshman, uh, he was a little bigger than Fred as a junior. But, yes. uh, you know, there's, there, everyone has their recruiting stories, and you had them too with your successful players. But uh, – you know, that was just, we were fortunate with him. He came without a scholarship, got one the second year, got one the third year, and the Phillies gave him a scholarship after that. But sometimes you get lucky on those guys. And, you know, we don't talk about the guys that don't really turn out, but you have some, no one's got a crystal ball. Nope. You guys have a great track record of bouncing back from not, you know, poor seasons, but maybe what you guys feel like are underachieving seasons. How do you guys do that? You always pull a great one out. Is that having faith in what you do? Is it tweaking things? How are you guys doing that? Cause I think it's unbelievable. Well, I think, uh, go, ahead, go ahead, Paul. All right. Uh, I so, think some of it, some of it's some based on who, if you have a down year, sometimes it's based on your personnel. You got young players, that you have to play. I mean, and, uh, you know, we have a 32 man roster that we deal with, not 35. And sometimes you just get where you lose a lot of talent and you may have a down year, but I think it's that, uh, when, when you do have a down year, I think the guys that come back the following year, there's, there's a little more urgency, I think on Keith and my part, as far as we need to get this turned around, you never want a slide to go too long. And that's something that I think we have done a good job at. I think, Ryan, we've been predominantly a high school recruiting program. And you have to grow a team. I don't think there's any question about that. That's on the field and off. They have to learn to really care for each other. That takes time. And, you know, I can think back to some really good clubs that were very veteran oriented, which is probably why they were good clubs. Lose a lot of guys and you have to start over. <clears throat> I think the year 2000, we came off a really good season in 1999, lost a lot of guys. Year 2000, we really, really struggled with some freshmen. <clears throat> and some of those guys were drafted as juniors, came back to school and got us to the World Series in 03, the very same team in 2000 that struggled to be even close to 500. But, you know, we've never had a ton of pressure from our administration that we have to be really, really strong every year. They've understood 
the resources and who we are and takes time to grow and build teams. And two, two years ago in 19, we had, we threw seven freshman pitchers had a freshman shortstop and uh, that wasn't good. And the results were poor, uh, but we knew those guys would continue to get better. You've got to stay with the process, not be afraid to change, but stay with your core beliefs. Lump, you guys have always had durable arms. How are you doing that? Is that a recruiting thing also or, or what you're doing with them when you get them? I think it's more, uh, I don't think you recruit them. I think it's just mindset, the conditioning, uh, competitiveness. That's one thing we talk about a lot is just being able the ability to compete. If you, you have no chance to be successful if you can't compete at this level, any level. So I think that's discussed a lot of times. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put up with guys that aren't giving their effort out there or caving in. If you do, we'll find somebody else. They understand that we're we're gonna have good arms or we're gonna have competitive arms. It's you know I'm not gonna pitch 15 guys. It's gonna about take about eight to ten to get through a normal college season. So that competition kind of builds itself in that uh, thought process. Coach Gutton, what was the switch from the mid-con to the Missouri Valley? What did that do for the program? That's really strange <laughs> thinking about that when you asked that. But I think it elevated. The, you know, the Valley's been a very good league. It's been a great fit for Missouri State geographically and competitively. There have been a lot of good teams, a lot of good coaches, and a lot of good players. Evansville and Illinois State, where your background is being one with your dad. But I've enjoyed the competition. Uh, it's been perfect, but yeah, we grew. Good coaches too. That, really good coaches. We we got in that league, and uh, the first year I want to say was ninety one. We yep. go in there ninety one, and for those that are college baseball historians, Wichita and Creighton, <laughs> Creighton. both. <laughs> got to the world series and that was a little different than the league we had been in, but we still had a good year. And I think Indiana state happened to be really good that year, but it's been a good, it's been a good league because everyone in that league over time has had their successes, every team. And it, it was a dog fight. I mean, that's what <laughs> going from the MCC to the Valley at Evansville, it just was every weekend. It was a dog fight and you might get swept and play really well, or you might sweep somebody and they played well. It's just, you never knew what you were going to get on any given weekend in the Valley. I've been a part of it for six decades now. <laughs> that's that that's unbelievable. That's true, to me. I look at it. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. as a player and coach, I've yep. coached in six different decades in the Valley. So pretty familiar with uh, what it takes in that league. And we, we touched on summer ball a little bit. Has that changed for you guys? Is it still sending guys out to help develop because they haven't gotten a bunch of talk about the high school piece because they haven't gotten a lot of at bats or innings underneath their belt. Is that still the way that things are going or is it are holding guys back and letting them train? I'm, I'm still a big believer in sending guys out. Uh, usually the guys that need to go out haven't pitched a lot in the spring to get that game competition and those innings in a, in a game situation to me is more important. It's really getting more difficult today with pitchers. Uh, Cause like you said, all they want to do is train. Now there's some importance to that and I get it, but 
you still got to get outs. You still got to get, you know, face hitters. And so I'd rather see my guys go out and pitch, but I understand the training element too is becoming a little more important to these guys. He's got to be smart player how standpoint. they're going out for. Yeah. Position player standpoint, Ryan, you know, we want our guys to go out and face division one pitching in the summer. If, if they're able to do that, or if they're at that point in their ability level where they can go out and play in a high caliber league, we certainly want them to do that. If they can't and they can stay here locally, there's a local college league now in this area and train, uh, then I think that's a good alternative. It has changed. But a lot of these guys were going out, say, 10 years ago, five years ago, and midway through, they'd call you because their fingernail was broke and they wanted to come home. Well, we knew it was their girlfriend. And uh, so guys didn't have the desire to, to go out and play three months in the summer. And we're like, if you can't play 50 games, it's hard for you to aspire to play 162. Exactly. That's a talking piece, right? Like if, if you eventually want to get there, you're going to get, have to get used to playing that type of schedule. Exactly. Yeah, the, the world is different as we know. And uh, it, yeah, you, you know, the, the guys that really want to play have strong desire. You, you don't have to push those guys to go out in the summer. Coach Gutton, what has Bill Rowe meant to Missouri state and the baseball program? <laughs> well, Bill Rowe is Missouri state. And for those in the audience that don't know, who he is. He started our baseball program in 1964 and made a great decision in 1976 to recruit me. Now, uh, he came to watch our junior college play in the sub-regional tournament, and he came to watch my roommate, who was a catcher named Jerry Poston, who could really hit. And he recruited Jerry and Jerry went to South Alabama and hit 22 home runs when you didn't hit 22 home runs. <clears throat> and I came to Southwest Missouri State and was a pretty average player. But fortunately, I got connected with him. He remained the head coach, and I was kind of his student assistant, GA volunteer, work off campus guy for a few years. And then I left, went with Kirk Champion to Ren Lake for a semester, and I came back. But Bill Rowe worked for he was the baseball coach. Then he was the AD. And fortunately he hired me as a head coach. His name is on our training center and he just gifted the Missouri state baseball program with a donation that the interest will pay for the cost of attendance for our sport in perpetuity. So not to mention who he is as a person, <clears throat> the visiting teams love him. I mean, he's just – he's in the ABCA Hall of Fame, and he's just a Hall of Fame person. Bleeds maroon. So, Coach Rowe retired in 2009, and I think there's probably very few days down here in Hammonds Field that he's not popping in or stopping by to talk to Keith or watch practice or bring his own grandson in to hit. Uh, he's still very heavily involved uh, with everything as far as Missouri State and especially baseball. You guys both talked about junior college. What has junior college meant to you guys, not just from your own experience, but also on the, the recruiting piece as well? I think from a positions player standpoint, Ryan, I mean, you've got to have somebody that can come in and play. And we've had some good ones. You know, that hasn't been our bread and butter. But, you know, we have – there's some good junior pro college programs in our state and in the region. And, uh, you know, we've got a couple junior college arms that came in this year are going to help us a great deal. 
I would take an arm, whether a guy's 10 years old or 70, if he can get somebody out, you know, whether it be a four-year transfer, whoever he is, <clears throat> I think it's harder to get a Juco guy that can really come in and hit because there's no scouting reports in junior college and, you know, it's more velocity based, but guys obviously can pitch and really pitch at this level. And I think those guys have a little tougher transition helping a program. I agree with that. I think uh, sometimes you just got to fill a hole. Keith said we were, you know, prefer a high school guy, but sometimes a high school guy's not out there or isn't ready to come in and play like we need him to play. So you may opt to go for a junior college hitter. And we've had good ones in that, but arms are a little more easy, uh, easily identifiable and guys that can come in and, and plug in maybe as a weekend guy or a reliever. And, um, uh, We've had good ones in both, definitely. Coach, you talked about work ethic being the separator. What really other things have separated those 127 guys that have had the opportunity, but then the 20 that have made it? What what has been some other separators? I think the guys that have had some semblance of a big league career other than a one call-up, there's something different about them whether it's mental toughness, physical toughness, work ethic. Uh, you know, some of those guys, you know, probably aren't going to church twice a week. Uh, but, I mean, they're, they're ball players. And, and let's be honest, from what we have seen in your career and ours that have dated a long, a long, long time, we've seen some awfully tough guys work really hard and, and make a career out of this. And, you know, society's changed significantly. Summer baseball's changed. And, uh, you know, it's a little harder to find that dirt bag than it used to be. I think it's uh, just as much guys that really love the game. Uh, some of those guys that have made it to 20 that have, we've had some guys that have stuck around. And whether they made it and bounced around state in AAA, it's those guys that, like, I just want to keep wearing a uniform as long as I can. For the last few years, I've looked at Ross Detweiler and kept I see him comes back for a golf time. Hey, you going to go at it again next year? There's a guy that you got to, you know, he's gone to Indie Ball to make a big league club or Indie Ball to AAA to make a big league club. And he was drafted in 2007 and just signed another one-year deal with the Marlins. Uh, Matt Palmer was that type of guy. He stayed in AAA for three years after being in the big leagues with the Angels for three and uh, he was more than content. Like, I, I just want to keep playing. And I think that says a lot for guys that have a love of the game instead of just chasing money. I think they're doing a little bit of both, but they really love the game. Coach Gutton, what tips do you have for the young coaches that are getting into it right now? Because you've seen the changes. It has changed a lot from when you first started. What are some tips for the young coaches getting into it right now? The thing I would say, Ryan, more than anything else, and <clears> – <throat> If there's any reason for any success that I have possibly had over any years, you have to surround yourself with the best people and trust them to do their job, <clears throat> whether that's coaches, managers, trainers, or players. And I've been fortunate that I've been surrounded by some great assistant coaches, Coach Evans, Coach Lawson, Nate Thompson, Brent Thomas. And those are just the full-time guys, not the young guys volunteers and students and you have to get players and you have to get people you can trust as players as well and then the other thing is to try to stay current with information you know 
stick with your core beliefs, whatever they are, but don't be afraid to change. Lump, what do you got on that? Uh, communicating, I think, is so important. You know, somebody asked me, has today's athletes changed? And I say, not really. You know, you still still stay current with them. I can still laugh and joke with them just as easy as I could a group 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But I think you just really got to communicate. The community, as long as you're up front with guys and transparent and, and tell them, like, here's what I think. This is what I think you need. This, that, you know, those type of things. I think they're going to listen. You know, they, they should. I mean, it makes sense if you have some knowledge as to how you want to get better. But you got to communicate that. You can't walk around. And, and it, sometimes it is a private conversation. Sometimes it's a group. But got to be transparent. I'm not going to change who I am. It's too late for that. Coach Gutton, has practice changed for you guys fall ball-wise? Outside of COVID, I know COVID threw everybody for a loop. But over the years, has the fall ball piece changed for you much from a practice planning standpoint? Well, you know, we, we've typically – we go drills, teaching, uh, regular type practice, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We go live Thursday, Friday based on the availability of arms. And you know, we tend to give them their weekends off in the fall. And that, that may have changed from when I first started. Uh, but, you know, we like them to have a little bit of free time and make sure they take care of school and, and any other things they need to in the fall. And, you know, we're lifting during that time. But I don't think it's changed significantly. Lump, I anything changed for you? Well, I think back when I first came here from Wren Lake, uh, the one thing that that's different now is that the NCAA used to allow for a lot of junior college games. It, it really was a help recruiting. If you were going to recruit junior colleges, why not invite them over and play them? And you saw a little different competition, you know, amongst your guys. Now they've come back and they've allowed us two games in the fall, which we did not play this year because of COVID. That's helpful instead of getting into inner squads where you're facing the same guys, you know, daily. Um, but others, as far as the format and how we go about it and the timing, a couple weeks, you know, two to three weeks of individual work until we get into team practice. I don't think a lot of that has changed in our minds. I don't think I would have, I, I probably wouldn't have played my freshman spring if we hadn't been able to play that many games in the fall. That was the, the biggest eye opener for me was we played 20 games against somebody else in the fall. So I took yep. my lumps in the fall. I don't think, I probably don't even see the field if we don't have those 20 games for my freshman <laughs> fall. It's a great evaluation tool for the coaches as well. And, uh, you know, the thing about it, it didn't cost us any money. Nope. Back in the day. We didn't even pay the umpires. They were out there trying to get better. Uh, it, it was it, to me, it was win win. And, you know, you've got great weather typically to do it in as well. What do you guys feel like makes a great coach? Talked about communication piece slump. Go first. I mean, the, the guys that you're looking at, it doesn't even have to be baseball. But what what? OK, when you look at a guy and like, hey, that's a great coach outside the communication piece. What else is there? I think some of the guys that uh, can connect to athletes, no matter, you know, you've been in the game for 40 years as Keith and I have, or you're just getting started. You got to be able to connect with the players. Um, there's a means, I, I, I think I said it earlier, it's, it's difficult to motivate every day, but I think you got to pick your spots. I think guys can be motivated in the right way. Uh, little, little needle in the side every once in a while, just kind of needle them uh, just the right way. 
to push them to something better. But uh, I, I think that's a big thing. But being transparent communication, I think, are the the elements I really believe in. But uh, <clears throat> got to connect with these guys. They want to connect with you. You got to connect with them. Coach Gatton. I think philosophically at this age, you treat them like men until they can't act like men. And then you treat them like boys. So you give them an opportunity, you help them mature. There has to be honesty. I think they have to respect you as a person and you respect them before you can have that connection and uh, just continue to tell them the truth and be a good teacher. What would you guys like to see out of the youth baseball scene right now? More games instead of just showcase everything. Uh, I'd like to see pitchers pitch in a game instead of two innings, and and that's good for that. Uh, probably more practice time for these travel teams where they're actually playing the game instead of just everybody's going up, getting their swings off and there's not the bunt game or the hit run or the steal, that type of stuff, which you don't see anymore. It's just like show up and uh, I'll get my four at bats or I'll show up and get my three innings in on the mound. Coach Guyton. I would, I would say, Ryan, learning how to play winning baseball, regardless of the age. So that to me comes back to the coaches and are they trained properly to teach the youth how to play winning baseball? There's certain aspects anymore, Ryan, that really, really, you're almost uh, you're surprised when you get guys at this level, base running, bunning, uh, just little parts of the game that just aren't being taught as well, or I guess guys are aren't as equipped when they get to us anymore. Yeah, I've said that to multiple youth coaches. I'm like, if you want to make that next coach that gets them, hopefully they want to keep playing. But if you can teach them the the small pieces, and coach said that about winning baseball, bunting, stealing, all those small things, you're going to make it much easier for the next coach because he's not going to have to teach as much. I was fortunate to have a very good high school and Legion coach. And I tell the story often. I went, he had this camp that I was all excited about. It was either eighth or ninth grade. I go and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to get to throw and I'm going to get to hit. And we had a two-day camp and we didn't take BP and I did, we didn't throw. We worked on relays, bunt defense, how to steal signs off second base, how to take a proper infield, how to wear a uniform, how to respect the game, all this stuff. And I came away after a day and a half and I'm like, God, I love this game even more than I thought just by teaching a lot of the nuances of the game. Coach, do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something along the way that you felt like maybe was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is the best thing that ever happened to you? I can't really think of one. That's an interesting question. Uh, I was very fortunate. I played at Southwest Missouri State. I was able to stay here, and it's been a great place for me and my family, so I've been very fortunate. Lump, you have one? Oh, I just think I give a lot of credit to Itchy Jones. He kind of got me started in this 40 years ago. I had graduated from SIU, had a business degree, and was just really searching, like, how can I stay in sports? And uh, Coach Jones called me in the middle of August and said, hey, there's uh, this community college down south here, Shawnee College, looking for your coach. Do you want to coach? And I said, yeah, that's why you called me. You know that's what I want to do. 
And that was 40 years ago. Seems like yesterday, but 40 years ago. How do you guys stay on top of your schedule? You've been doing this for a long time. Most guys get burned out by, by this point. How have you been able to stay on top of everything? Coach Gun? For me, it's having good health. I mean, I've got a, a Hall of Fame pitching coach who just went in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame a week ago. Uh, I have a Matt Lawson, who nobody will outwork. Uh, I had Brent Thomas for 32 years, and he got tired of me in that 32nd year, I guess, he retired. So I've been fortunate. I, it goes back to what I said before. If you have good people around you, you certainly enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, that's that's definitely evolved, Ryan. I mean, in recent years, same thing here. I've got Nick Petrie helping. We've got grad assistants or grad managers. You have student assistants. Uh, you know, it used to be when, when I first got here, it was just basically Keith, Brent, and I, and maybe one GA at Tim Bunton or even a Scott Berry when I first got here. And now that staff is really involved where you have video people and ops people and a volunteer coach. And uh, it's, it's really nice to have additional help on the field and, and on a day-to-day -day basis. Coach Gutton, was Bill Rowe probably the one you leaned on the most when you first started getting going? Were there any other guys that you leaned on when you first got into it? You know, it was interesting because Coach Rowe had started the program. We've only had two head coaches here in however many years, since 1964. But he, he gave me space. He was there if I had questions, and he wouldn't push it on me. It was his baby, but he walked away. He was busy being athletic director. But I don't know that I asked people, but I watched people. And, uh, you know, I think being in the Midwest, Itchy Jones was the guy that I respected a lot, knew we'd never played him, but I'd hear players talk about him or I hear coaches talking about SIU having grown up in St. Louis. I was fortunate I had a really good junior college coach and Hal Lowry just passed away about two months ago at 91. Then I had Bill Rowe, who was a Hall of Fame ABCA guy. So I was just fortunate. And I, you know, these were the people that when I was in high school, the coaches were the people I looked up to and respected and had relationships with. And I thought, you know what? I'm not good enough to be a professional player, but this is something I would like to do. Lump, who are your mentors besides Itch? Uh, Mark Newman, who also passed away in the fall on uh, 71 years old. Uh, very knowledgeable, super intelligent guy that could really teach pit pitching. Uh, highly competitive guy. Kind of a Tony La Russa, you know. Uh, Went to law school, passed the bar, never practiced law, but that type of guy. But when he left SIU my senior year, uh, I was fortunate to have him for three years. He taught me a lot about pitching, a lot of the elements of the game. He and Itchy, and then uh, Babe Champion, my high school and Legion coach. Those three people, that, that was all my formative years from high school into college. Uh, the connection with the Champion family, Babe and Kirk and Keith, I think that those are the people that I lean on and talk to the most. Coach Gutton, do you have a favorite Metter Park story? For anybody that doesn't know that Missouri State used to play in a park that was 350 feet all the way around. Coach that Evans was... doesn't have many favorites. <laughs> I loved hitting there. I love when we walked in there sophomore year or junior year, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, here we go. Well, here's my favorite Metter Park story. And I will not mention the team or the names involved. This was back when we were playing the four games 
on the weekend, 9799. And this is 1999. And I don't know if you were there. I can't remember back that far. That was my last year coaching at Evansville. Okay, so Ryan Howard is a freshman, and Matt Zipicki is a junior, two future big leaguers. Really best offensive team we've ever had. Led the nation in home runs with 144 home runs. I don't think we've hit 144 since 1999. So we're playing at Matter, and we win really big on Friday. And they've got aren't they've got Grauman. They've got like literally two guys that pitch in the big leagues. I I, I gave it away. I, yeah, that's all right. You can Ozen. keep going. That Ryan team was Ozen good. That, about now. <laughs> Valley was all good. Right. That that '99 year was unbelievable because Preston Larson was a freshman at Evansville. There's a lot of big leaguers in the Valley at that time. So we win the first game really big, and we come out and and, and we win the seven inning game. You know, I don't know, maybe by eight runs or so, and and the opposing coach at home plate for the lineup exchange between games two and three said you guys you weren't quite as good that game you didn't have our signs <laughs> we in the four games we scored correct me if i'm wrong paul 67 runs no we scored Wind 84, eight, we scored 84 in a four game series against that team that Wind was blowing out and we had some big people Ryan Howard hit a ball over the rec center at Carson. We were playing on the at Carson at that point at Evansville. Ryan Howard yes. hit a ball over the the rec. He field. might have might have struck out a couple times that game too. And but when he got into them, they went. I think mine, Ryan, is uh, the time we had Steve Hacker and against a conference opponent, they had decided not to walk him with the base open and a freshman catcher that we had pinch ran for our starting catcher on deck. And Hack hits a home run onto the tennis courts in dead center. Well, the next day we show up for BP at 10 o'clock or whatever for our noon doubleheader. And uh, out in left center field in between some of the advertising, somebody had written Hack's house on the left field wall. So I walk in and G looks at me. He goes, hey, take care, take care of that. I go, with what? He goes, I don't know, but they're going to be here any minute. Just take care of it. So I go in the shed behind the dugout. I find old black paint, a stick, and an old rag and taped it on the stick and stuck it in the bucket and went out there and got Hack's house off the wall before the other team showed up. And that team wore black and gold, if you want to know who it was in the league, right? <laughs> well, Hacker had 42 that year and Schlemmer had 38. I mean, yeah. No, you had, no, no, no. Well, Come on now. Hack, well, Hack you only had 37. You had 37. Oh, God. Well, it seemed like a lot, even though we were just lucky that you guys came to Bossy Field that year because it seemed like every at bat, Hacker hit a ball, and our outfielders' backs were against the, the fence at Bossy right, Field. You swept us, if I'm not mistaken. We did. And I, I had seen you guys because we had been there. You know, I'd gone on a couple of trips when I was younger. So I had seen your guys program, but you lose track when you get into high school. But that whole week we're prepping for you guys. And my dad is on us the entire week about no, how you guys dad. are going to come kick our tails if we weren't ready. And after we swept you guys, I was like, I still don't know how that happened. Like, I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> I can't believe your dad would get on a team or you. <laughs> you, you saw it firsthand. Um, <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and and I, I do want to thank both of you guys because you both were mentors to me um, through all of it. And, and Coach Gutton, 
you helped me a lot when I got into the head coaching position at Western, just allowed me to navigate things because you had been through it and you don't realize how hard it is when you take over a program until you get there and you have to start doing, even though I'd seen it my entire life and how it was supposed to be done until you actually do that. It, it's so hard. So I thank you guys both. Cause I saw you a ton on the road and, and just all the conversations that we've had over the years. I want to thank you guys both. I well, appreciate it, Ryan. And that, that kind of brings something I like to close with is for the young coaches, you need to find a mentor. Uh, I think that's critically important. I, Coach Evans had his, his college coach, my college coach I had. And, you know, I think you can find people. People are always willing to help in this game in college baseball. But you may have to be aggressive and assertive and go out and find somebody. But I think that would be critically important to any young coach. Coach Evans, what final thoughts you have? Oh, I, w I couldn't agree more with what Keith said. I think having somebody that you can lean on and talk to uh, having that mentor is, is very important. No doubt. I appreciate you having us on here, Ryan. It's been fun. Yeah, this was fun for me. And I wish you guys the best getting off, uh, getting the season started here. I'm excited for everybody to get to play again. Well, Thanks you for having snow us. shovel and maybe you can help us. <laughs> you got it. Thanks again to coach Gutton and coach Evans for jumping on with me. This is always a hectic time for college coaches getting ready for their seasons. So huge thanks to them for carving out time to jump on with me. I've always been impressed by what these two have been able to do together. You knew every time that you're going to play Missouri State that they were going to play hard and you were going to have your hands full. Sincere thanks to both of them for being great mentors to me as well. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Don't have